This is the Real Estate Rookie Show number eight. I had to face fear because I had been so against owning or having a mortgage. But what always got me over that fear is running the numbers. Look, we could live in this duplex and be paying $400 a month for our mortgage. That's insane. So let's do this. Yeah. And ultimately we were going to be paying a mortgage one way or another. It was just a question of whether it was ours or someone else's. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of what a lot of it was, was anchored on. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Felipe Mejia. If you've ever heard the phrase, waiting on a woman, that is Felipe today after my 30-minute wait to record this intro. First of all, (laughs) Ashley thinks it's funny, but I actually legit just had a heart attack, right? Basically, I'm on here on Zoom. We're ready to record. I got my garage band set up. I'm ready to rock and roll, and my computer freezes the moment I hit record. Now I'm freaking out because this could have been a live show and I'm like, oh my gosh. And Ashley's just watching me on the screen, cracking up and I'm freaking out because everything just froze. I'm having to reset my life here and terrible. Yeah, (laughs) it was funny because I could only see you and your facial expressions and I couldn't hear you at all. So I had no idea what was going on (laughs) until you texted me and then I completely lost video of you too. But uh, before we go on into the show, I want to thank everyone for joining uh, the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. We have close to 4,000 members already in the group. Man, that's a lot of people. And it's awesome because I'm sometimes scrolling through there and I see that people are posting the deals or what they're doing during this time. And a lot of really good wisdom is coming out of it because people are commenting, they're saying this, they're saying that very positive energy in there. And I love it because you know people are taking action and still contributing, which is great. Now, let me do put a reminder out there, a quick PSA. If you're going to join the Facebook group, uh, Real Estate Rookie, make sure that you agree to the terms and conditions at the very bottom before you submit because we will decline you if you do not agree. You're so strict. I try to be. <laughs> well, there's someone out there stricter than me. I know she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so on today's show, we have Mallory and Lucas. We actually recorded this show back in March, and then, uh, you know, coronavirus happened, and we kind of switched gears, did a couple live episodes for you guys, but we talked to Mallory and Lucas earlier this week, and they said that not a lot has changed for them, so we want to play their episode for you guys today because there's so much value from what they said, especially about how they got financing. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I really like about Mallory and Lucas was that they don't have the tip typical W-2 job. They don't fit the mold, if you will, right? They're not like a nurse and a doctor mm-hmm. or something like that, right? It's like, I think uh, Lucas is a firefighter. He fi- he fights wildfires, you know, God bless him. And Mallory is a barista and gets tips and it's not all on the W-2s and it's just kind of crazy there. And they're still able to invest. So don't let those things hold you back. Especially now, I've seen a lot of lenders are tightening their standards as to who they're going to loan to, you know, higher credit score, showing more income, more reserves. And Mallory and Lucas talk about how they got financing, building their credit, lowering their debt to income ratio. Yeah, exactly. They're definitely talking about strategies back in March that are very even that are still real relevant today during coronavirus time, right? And, you know, they didn't expect this to happen, but they were talking truth and it's still relevant today. Now, for those of you who don't know, basically, we recorded this episode back in March. We're letting it out now because we wanted to bring different value while coronavirus is going on. It's still there, but we wanted to bring Mallory and Lucas's episode to show that 
things that were if you prepare you know even pre-coronavirus you can still implement those strategies today yes so let's bring them on remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number it was like the dark ages until deal machine made skip tracing a thing of the past now with your deal machine plan you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Valerie Lucas, what's going on, guys? So excited to have you on the Rookie Real Estate Podcast. We're so excited to dig into what you guys guys going on. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, who are you? What do you do? Talk to us. Oh, man. <laughs> begin. Yeah. Well, I'm Mallory, obviously. <laughs> I'm Lucas. We live in Washington, in Olympia, Washington right now. Just bought a house in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Mallory's a barista. Works at a coffee stand here. It's kind of a common business platform here. And then I am a wildland firefighter for the Department of Natural Resources here in Washington. Cool, cool. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about what you guys do in real estate and how you even got started. Boy, we kind of got started with a roommate situation got wrong, gone wrong. Uh, we were living with some roommates last summer, kind of ended up finding out that we we're going to have to move out of that situation and look for something different. And here in Washington, the way the rental market is, prices are so high right now, you're kind of splitting hairs between paying a mortgage and paying rent. And so when we were looking for a new place to live and kind of looking at what was available for rentals in the local market, we shifted the conversation a little bit to maybe purchasing a property. 
and it all kind of snowballed from there into a conversation about some sort of more investment oriented property. I think it was me originally. I had a coworker, one of the pilots that I work with in Fire, that mentioned bigger pockets to me. Uh, hey, Kobe. <laughs> started checking that out and listening to the podcast. And from there, we really kind of just started oh, devouring yeah. information all over the place. It was a lot of bigger pockets podcasts. I got into some audio books, uh, ordered a couple mm-hmm. of books, lots of YouTube. Yeah, lots and lots of YouTube. Mm-hmm. And just started consuming information. And then when we, when I got out of my fire season and had a little more free time, we really got serious about shopping for what was available in the local market and uh, figuring out what might work for us in that area. Yeah. And it was a bit of a transition. I think Mallory initially, you know, we grew up in an age where we were a little nervous maybe about committing to purchasing a property. And at the same time, then the more we started looking at house hacking options and things like that, we realized that it could actually be, be liberating, liberating mm-hmm. financially. Um, and the whole conversations kind of snowballed from there for us. Yeah. I love that. Obviously, Felipe and I love bigger pockets and are big supporters. But how long did you do your research and your analysis before you actually started shopping for a deal? Like you got your pre-approval, you were ready to go. How long until you took those steps to actually purchase? Well, I'd say we started listening to bigger pockets in August of last year. And then we put an offer on the house that we ended up buying. I believe either at the end of October or the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. So about two or three months of Wow, that's devouring. that's really quick. Uh, yeah. You don't hear that often. <laughs> Most of the time people stick around and, and analysis and analysis and then they get yeah. into analysis paralysis. Yeah. Uh, totally. I'm going to jump a little ahead here. How did you get over that You know, fear of investing? I mean, you, you only heard for just a little bit. So for me particularly, I was nervous about owning a home. I Like I my coming of age was during the financial crisis. So like owning a home and having to pay a mortgage for 30 years felt like, (laughs) wow, like a ball and chain that I did not want to deal with. Too much Um, commitment. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) We we both love to travel a lot. So we, I've always wanted to be able to do that. But then Lucas this summer mentioned house hacking and how we could actually make money owning property. And so that, made logical sense to me. So I just was actually full on board with that. And then, so that was how I got out of my analysis <laughs> paralysis. And then once I decide to do something, I, I, kind of I do it. it. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And I think a big part of the transition for us too, was just, you know, as we were gathering information, it was like trying to figure out how that actually manifested itself in our local market. And that's where the shopping really was as much just trying to see what was reasonable in our area. Yeah. And it, it was a pretty interesting learning lesson fast because you look at different things like the 1% rule. And for us, that was something that, that was really hard to find price-wise in our market. It's not easy to find a duplex in this area for under $300,000. And with rent rates as high as they are, it's still tough to hit that 1% mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was initially just trying to find out what was even feasible in our market and compare that against what we were learning in the books and podcasts we were checking out. And then from there, yeah, it was, I mean, that was the house we bought was actually the second property that we made an offer on to. We had made an offer on another one. Um, I think it was a little bit earlier in October, maybe. Yeah. And that didn't end up panning out. Funny looking back, it ended up selling for, for a little bit less than, less we, than offered. we offered on it. But yeah, so it was just a matter of kind of looking around and seeing what was realistic. And then when the opportunities were there and we kind of had a rough idea of what kind of timeline we needed to get the whole thing yeah. off the ground before I would be returning to work for the summer, um, it was kind of like, let's do this. You yeah. Know? 
And uh, it was a lot of taking it one step at a time. We didn't worry too much about making an initial commitment where if we made an offer on a house and it didn't work out or something didn't work out somewhere along the line, we always knew we could kind of back out at some point until, you know, probably five days after we'd actually closed on it. And then we realized the whole thing was very real and we kind of <laughs> yeah. figure out the rest from there, you know, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, just taking, taking little bites as we, as we went through the process and then, and then finding our way through it. But really that's still where we're at is just taking things one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. One, another thing I would add too is that when we were thinking about buying versus getting into another lease, you know, we realized that that's throwing away 20,000 plus dollars. Mm-hmm. So do we want to just throw that out or, yeah. or and, take a leap and do this? Yeah. I think that's a big part of what it came down to for us was we're going to be spending, you know, this money one way or another, and it either can go into our own equity or it can go into somebody else's. Um, and that was a big part of encouraging us to kind of take the leap initially, I think. Now, when you were, where you bought your house, was that your first like location you wanted to buy in? What made you decide or how many areas did you have to look at and what were like the key factors on deciding where to actually buy what location? In some places it's, it's not affordable for most people. So how did you decide what market you were actually going to go in? And was this your second, third market you looked in? We were pretty flexible about where we would buy. So Lucas works, he's gone all summer fighting fires. Mm -hmm. So him where we live, it doesn't really matter because he's gone all summer and then is home for the winter time. So for us, it was more of my work. So as long as we were 30 minutes from Mm -hmm. my work, we were willing to buy. So that was all along the I-5 corridor and then um, east-west 30 minutes. So that was a pretty big swath of towns that we would buy in. Yeah, a lot of variability there too. I mean, yeah. south of where we are in Olympia is is a little bit more rural. It's a little bit smaller town, mm-hmm. and then north of us is Tacoma, and right in the middle of that is Olympia. And there, there, we kind of had the good fortune of being in a spot where thirty minutes this way and thirty minutes that way were pretty different markets. Yeah, as far as what was available, and and also with everything in our area, I mean, everything in the greater Seattle area up and down the Puget Sound area is is growing Mm -hmm. and you have a pretty stable rental market and growth pattern there pretty much regardless. Yeah. So it was kind of a matter of just finding something that was where the numbers were. Yeah. And the house that we initially offered on was south of us in a little bit smaller town. That one kind of had, we were a little bit nervous about how consistently we'd be able to keep renters in a property in that area, despite the fact that the available properties were a little bit more affordable on average. And then uh, the house we ended up buying was one I'd kind of, it was pretty poorly. We've done most of our shopping on Redfin and it, it wasn't presented very well. There was like one picture from the outside of the house. It was house. a Google Street View. Yeah, yeah Google Street View photo, yeah. you know, and it was like one I'd had saved for a while and I'd kind of mentioned like, hey, maybe we should do a drive-by on this one sometime. Yeah. And when we finally got got access to check the place out, we went in and and uh, I was kind of like, whoa, there's a, there's a lot of work that needs to happen there. And Mallory walked out and was like, we're buying this house. Um, and that's, you know, that like, like we yeah. said, when she decides something's happening, you know. I'm assuming, you, I'm assuming you be. bought that house, right? That's, that's what yeah. Yeah. Of course yeah. you did. Yeah. Yeah. You're every day now. So earlier, you guys had mentioned the 1% rule. Could you kind of define mm-hmm. what that means for our listeners and then how important those things play in when you're buying a property? That's a great question that we're kind of still asking ourselves. So my understanding of the 1% rule is essentially that your total monthly rent uh, that you can get from a property should be at least 1% 
of the purchase price of the, the house. So if you buy a house for $100,000, you should be able to rent it out for $1,000 a month. So it's just kind of a, like a rule of thumb to look at what's available in the market and kind of do a quick check on whether or not it's worth digging more into a property. It's interesting because in our local market, we're still trying to figure out we look at some of these houses, duplexes in particular, what the local rental rates are and what they're consistently selling for. And in a lot of cases, that 1% rule isn't there. And yeah. that, you know, we're still kind of very curious every day as to whether that's larger companies that are buying up real estate for a longer hold or how exactly they're manifesting. Well, just people who want to own a home, but we even see duplexes that are selling for $400,000, $500,000. And we're like, there's no way you're going to yeah. meet 1% with the rent there. So, right. Yeah. No. And, and, and I, and I think that's, that's interesting because I think the 1% rule for investors like us is like a way to keep you grounded to where you're like, okay, totally. I'm not going to pay overvalue because I know at least I have to make that 1% rule. Let someone else make that, you know, totally. mistake if you will, but definitely right. that's right. the way to kind of keep us grounded. Would you guys agree? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And it's a good way to just kind of, sift through what you're seeing locally and rule out some things that maybe aren't worth putting more time into researching. Exactly. I think it's important too, to realize that that's not the only factor that, you know, you should take into consideration too, because in New York state, the, we have really high property taxes. So our purchase price are lower, but and you're getting like the 3% rule, but you're not meeting the 50% rule. So your expenses are more than 50% of your rental income. Usually, I mean, there are exceptions, yeah. but like a lot of times it's, you got to remember to look at all of these rules and not just say, you know, the 1% rule, but totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was just a starting point for us. And and I kind of set up some different spreadsheets that were kind of cash flow estimates for us so that we could plug in different properties side by side and see how they might compare to each other. And then I did use to like on the Bigger Pockets website, they have a property analysis calculator. Mm-hmm. So I plugged a bunch of numbers into that to see how things mapped out. And, and, and even just going through that process in the early stages before we'd really pin down a specific property was good just to go through the process of analyzing a couple different properties before we were ever really narrowed down on something we were serious about making an offer on. Yeah. If anyone wants to check out those calculators that they're talking about, it's at biggerpockets.com forward slash calc and pro members get unlimited use. And then um, you can just sign on and you can use it a couple times and try it out for free. But I want to go back to Okay, so you guys super fast did your research. <laughs> what steps did you take then when you're ready to buy? Did you get a loan pre-approval? What kind of financing options did you look for? What were those steps when you said, "Okay, I'm ready to buy. This is what this is our checklist of things we need to do to be ready. We need to have our proof of funds letter. We need to get this kind of financing." What did that look for you guys? Well, at first we did the class. Yeah. So the Washington State Housing Finance Commission has some really good programs here in Washington. Um, that was actually something we'd run across when we, we forget where I'd read about it, but it was something to do with the possibility of getting down payment assistance, which we had a little bit of savings in place and we were prepared to make a down payment, but we kind of knew whatever we, we were going to purchase would most likely require some additional cash after purchase. Mm-hmm. So if we could kind of stay cash flush as best as possible through the purchase price. That was something we wanted to research. And as part of that program to get certified and eligible for that, 
uh, you had to take a class. And mm-hmm. it's actually one of the more productive things we did. It was uh, two nights, I think, what, five Four or six hours. hours. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and really informative, just as in general information for first-time homebuyers. It was super valuable. That's kind of where that started. And then seeking pre-approval, we went with well, actually... The people who taught that class was a loan officer and a yep. real estate agent. Wow, cool. So, yeah. And so we loved the real estate agent that taught it. And mm-hmm. we... We had told them like, oh, we think we're going to buy in a couple months. And then like two weeks later, we contacted her like, Susie, there's this house we want to put an offer on. She was like, what the heck? What happened in two months? <laughs> so yeah, that's how we... It's actually began. how we met Yeah, both our real estate agent and our lender uh, that we ended up going with. We did get a couple other pre-approvals from what well, we went with Quicken Loans. And I think kind of the, the time and attention we felt we got through the application process there just wasn't quite what we were looking for. But really, I mean, we got pre-approval pretty early and that yeah. was something too. We wanted to make sure we kind of had all our ducks in the row in a row right mm-hmm. from the start, because with me being a seasonal employee and Mallory being, you know, a big part of her income is tips. We were kind of a little bit concerned initially about the approval process. Mm-hmm. We knew where our income was and what we could have, but it was going to be a challenge of, of making a potential lender comfortable with our particular situation because mm-hmm. we're not exactly cookie cutter. Nine uh, to fivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that was a big part of it too, was even just figuring out who would, you know, have the time and understanding to be able to work with us as far as figuring out how my employment system right. works and things like that was, you know, a little unorthodox. So yeah, uh, that was then, a big part of it was just kind of researching specifically what was going to work for us, what we were comfortable with. And from a lending standpoint, what, what would have the time and attention to help us find a way kind of thing. Yeah. So we went and got pre-approved. We, so we found a house or a duplex that we were interested in buying and we had to put an offer before they would allow us to see it. Mm-hmm. And so we put in a contingent offer with our real estate agent and that's when we had to get pre-approved. So then we were pre-approved and they wanted that duplex wanted us to, I think go to closing without an inspection or something like go to closing without being seeing it. Yeah. So we were like, no, this isn't right for us. We don't feel good about it. So at that point we were pre-approved and then we just, we looked at like all real estate listings online every day, multiple hours a day until we could find something where the numbers looked like they could work. Lucas found this duplex that had the Google street view as its image and not the best description. And he was like, I think we should go look at this. And I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> it was a sketchy picture, sketchy. Like it seemed like a bad Craigslist ad or something. I don't know. So we ended up, like we said, we ended up going to see it. And that, so at this point we were pre-approved. We had our real estate agent and we put an offer on it and then the and chaos began. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of the funny, it's, you know, it was, we, we really kind of lucked out with it, how everything worked out because <laughs> talking to our realtor, she thought we could probably pull the place off. But the state of it was there were renters in one side uh, and it needed a lot of cosmetic work at least mm-hmm. at the time. And then the other side was pretty much gutted. It was down to subfloor. I mean, drywall was still in place. But when we went through the inspection process, there were a lot of, of things there that were somewhat cause for concern. And that was something too that we, when we had a lot of conversations about what we had to offer kind of individually as a couple as potential investors. And one of those was my time. Being a seasonal employee, I have have time that I can invest kind of sweat equity into a potential property. And that was what we were looking for was something that on the front end, maybe we could have 
kind of a forced appreciation, add value right out of the gate early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were looking for something that needed some work initially anyway, because that was going to be an opportunity to, to, you know, to find the right kind of deal for us. What ended up happening was we got the inspection. We, we had a pretty good idea of what was wrong with the property or what needed to be done. At the time, the, the sellers had a couple cash offers on the table that they weren't real excited about. We'd kind of gotten that through our realtor. And so we were able to negotiate down in price a little bit because we knew we had some wiggle room there and they didn't have any you know, conventional offers at market value yet. So we were able to negotiate down in price from the inspection process. And then when the appraisal came along, the lender had some concerns in that category. And that's kind of where things got interesting was yeah. it essentially came down to a list of a fairly long list of items that we got kind of right at the start of December from the appraisal process saying what needed to be done to the property before conventional financing could ever be approved. We communicated back and forth a little bit through the realtors uh, with the seller, determined essentially that they were done with the place, just wanted to get rid of it. And if they had to do pound one more nail, they were just going to take a cash offer and walk away. And that's where between us and talking to our realtor, we came up with the idea of negotiating early access to the property. So before closing or signing or, or taking ownership of it in any way, we were able to negotiate early access. And that was something that we, you know, we took a risk on it in a big way. We did negotiate as part of that, you know, a contingency in there that it would be a requirement if the sellers backed out of the deal for any reason, they would have to reimburse us for any materials we'd put into the place. But we were still taking the risk of putting a lot of man hours into working on that house and yeah. and trying to get it ready to close on. And that's pretty much how we spent our December <laughs> was uh, a, a lot of time in December doing, you know, we, we installed water heater, replaced some siding, got real interesting when it came to the flooring because we didn't want to invest too oh, much in right. a finished product, you know, so we ended up actually kind of scrounging around for whatever used carpet <laughs> we could find through some, some local yeah. contacts and yeah. stuff and, uh, and, and did what we had to do to make the place pass. And then a lot of that actually came back out and we started over on some of it once we finally closed on it. But in hindsight, we kind of created our, I think, our own little niche that we'd never really anticipated that allowed us to close on something that really wasn't in the local market was only available to those cash offering, you know, flipping type companies. Yeah, and it we, wasn't yeah. going to pass conventional Financing unless yeah. we got that early access and did the work that was needed to get it there. That's a really so interesting story because it seems like you put some sweat equity into it before you even bought it. But before we get to that part, I didn't want to ask something. I had written something down because I think this is really important. The loan application that you guys had was not typical, right? So I know this is a little bit farther back, but I really want to hone in on this because yeah. this was a problem that I had and many of my friend investors had as well when they first started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they're not regular W two jobs, they you know they're right. a square peg trying to get in a circle, and they they totally. can't fit right. And and it seems like you guys have that right. Yours is mostly tips. It seems like Lucas there is working you know only a certain amount of time at. So how did you guys get past that pre approval process? I mean, you said it so nonchalant, but I know that my listeners are going to want to say, well, how do they get it if they if if they didn't fit that criteria, right? So what can you talk about some of the loops that you had to jump through? some of the obstacles that you had and why you just didn't give up. Cause I know a lot of people that give up in that process where they're like, well, I can't really? get pre-approved because I don't fit the criteria. So I'm going to walk away. Right. Well, we saved aggressively for like an entire year. So we had a pretty good savings account. Lucas had paid off almost all of, all of his debt for, so our debt to income ratio was really good. So that was, you know, the 
two steps that were kind of like conventional way of getting ahead. But then we also did a lot of research about um, which lenders were willing to look at out of the box criteria. That was, I spent a lot of time, I made a document about, you know, different <laughs> kinds of lenders and what, what their criteria is or what they're willing to look past or use for, I don't know, evidence that they'll fund to you. But then additionally, we had to get a, well, a rehire letter for Lucas. Yeah, because- to do some back and forth with my employer to, to get a little extra documentation to just kind of supplement some of the question marks there. I think in a big way too, just being prepared helped a lot. Yeah. Um, have, being able to demonstrate a certain amount of literacy in the process and anticipation with the lender, I think went a long ways. Mm-hmm. Being able to demonstrate that we kind of had had an idea of what we were up against and we knew we were going to be a little bit of a challenge yeah. uh, and communicating that willingness to, to bring something extra to the table. And then just having our ducks in a row in advance as far as you know where our finances were, our debt to income ratio, uh, credit scores were in a pretty mm-hmm. good place. But then just being patient with the lender. I mean, it, there were things where they said, oh yeah, that's not going to be a problem initially. And then down the road, it, it came back up and it was something we had to sort our way through. Yeah. Uh, a big part of that was coming up with some kind of rehire letter from my employer. But yeah, it, it was a matter of being patient and persistent is ultimately, I think, what it boiled down to yeah. was looking for a lender that was willing to take the time to work with us and then doing that something extra to make them comfortable with our situation because it is unorthodox and they don't have a standard system for, for our situation. Yeah. I do think it was really important that we went with a local in-person lender because Mm -hmm. we could go sit down and chat with her. She could get to know us. She knew how literate and informed we were. So I think that was an important step too. Yeah, I think the research you guys did and the the time you put into the information you got before you even approached the lender was probably yeah. very valuable to the lender and it made it easier for them to work with you too, you know, knowing mm-hmm. that you have all this stuff already together and you're ready to to work with them and do whatever it takes. I wanted to totally. ask if you would share some of those lenders because I know this will be a, a big question, especially if people yeah. live in Washington State or if you even found, you know, nationwide banks that are open uh, to working with you guys. Yeah. So we ended up going with Guild Mortgage. Um, I think that they are nationwide or at least in lots of states. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I have a list of my document that I had created yeah. of the lenders, but I don't know exactly where it is on my computer at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's fine. We can um, actually attach those in the show notes if you wanted cool. to share them. Yeah, so totally. people can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie eight. So we'll attach the that right to the show notes. So anyone who's interested Perfect. can look right into it. So thank you for, cool. for sharing that. Yeah. 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 And I think that ultimately was what it boiled down to was just working with, you know, finding somebody that that could work with us. And and Guild was great. We had our challenges throughout the closing processes and and things like that. You know, there there were things that were hiccups along the way, but kind of having somebody that we could work with directly and and be personal with was really ultimately the linchpin in the whole thing. That's great. That's that's perfect because I think a lot of people do struggle with that part. They're like trying to get that... Going into it, not expecting like I deserve to get this loan, but you guys went in prepared and that I think is what made the difference, you know, being prepared to, to get the loan, not expecting, oh, I deserve this loan, but no, 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 here's why I think, and here's everything that I've prepared. So with that, 
You guys have already hinted a little bit about the deal analysis that we're going to dig into, right? The deal Mm -hmm. of the day. Like, I'm super excited to talk about that, especially because I already read the notes a little bit. So I got ahead (laughs) because I was really excited about it. So go ahead and tell us what the deal is, what you have in mind, how you negotiated, how you financed it. I mean, give us the nitty gritty A to Z. You've already hinted a little, but I want to hear the whole story, you know, really break it down for us. Yeah. Yeah. So we pretty much we ruled out single family houses in Washington for our first investment because everything is so expensive and there's no way it it would cash flow. So we decided we were going to do a duplex or something of the like. Everything on the market was at least 350 and or you know 500 for duplexes and we had found a couple that were under 300. Uh, that's the first one we put an offer on that we didn't continue forward with. This one was on the market for 285, which was like, we thought a screaming deal compared to everything else Mm -hmm. on the market. Considering, yeah, what specifically in that Tacoma area anyway, that was, that was about as reachable as it got for us. And some of it even just came down to kind of contingency planning and being realistic about our own budget and what we could afford to pay for if we didn't have a, a renter in at all. And that was something, you know, for a backup plan if, if times got tough or whatever and we couldn't find renters for a few months on both sides. You know, some of it came down to just our own going back and forth with the lender. Okay, yeah, so we, we actually buy, got like, yeah, if we buy a $285,000 house, what is our payment going to be? Yeah, what's our monthly payment? What, is, what are the property taxes in that county? So knowing at each price point what um, the monthly payment would be and then what the um, surrounding area rents rates are, Will we be able to cash flow that? What will our payment look like if it's just us living in there? What will it look like if there's, you know, we're running out both sides? So we found this one for 285. It had a Google Maps picture. It was (laughs) terrible. (laughs) We went in and the description had said like that it was completely gutted. So we were like, okay. And, you know, not sure what to expect. And we walk in and it's just subfloor. You know, so, yeah. so the one side was gutted and the other side had been advertised, at least on Redfin, as basically being rental ready, just needed some trim work. Uh, and the more we looked at that, we kind of realized that there was actually a lot of rework lot that of needed work. to happen. Yeah. There was some rotten mold issues. The flooring was poorly installed. Yeah. Um, we, we actually pretty quickly came to the, the decision that that was probably the side that needed the least work. The one that was, uh, I'm sorry, the, the most yeah. work. Yeah. Cause it, we were going to have to tear some things out and do some more demo before we could really get into the rebuild process. Yeah. But. So then we, like I said, I, we walked away and I said, we're buying this house. We hadn't even gotten to the car yet. <laughs> yeah. And Lucas was like, Oh, okay. I never know with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, um, got to keep him on his toes. Yeah. 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 It just worked. It, it, the layout was good. It's in a great area. It was a cash flow price. So I knew this is, we have to, Put an offer on this one, so we put a full yep, full offer two eighty five at asking price. And I think in our offer we asked them to pay closing. Yeah, right. That yeah. was I think maybe after the Mm-mm. the inspection was no. no. We um, offered full price, <laughs> and they with them paying closing up to seven thousand. Then from there we got the inspection, and we actually had met the the person that we hired for our inspection. We he had talked to the first time home buyer class that we were a part of. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, he could just tell that he loved his job and he's like, loves inspecting homes yeah. and finds it, you know, is passionate about it. So we, we hired him. He inspected everything, took pictures of everything. 
And then we sent that to the sellers and they dropped the price by 10,000. Wow. And then we, yeah. And so on the inspection report was like one side of the house needs new siding, needs new flooring throughout. There's some leaky faucets. It needs a new water heater, you know, like not, not terrible things. There's no bad foundation work. Yeah. There's no, Cos- it's just cosmetic totally. things and just kind of, yeah, yeah. no structural issues, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And I tell you what, too, it was, it was kind of mind blowing to me because talking to our realtor, she said that oftentimes it's tough for them to convince a potential buyer to go through the inspection process. I think we pay, I mean, we got a little bit of a discount because we, we went through the class that yeah. we did. I think we paid maybe $500 for that inspection. And they uh, dropped the price $10,000. It saved yeah. us literally but that, So then we said, we said, how about fifteen? And they said, okay. Yeah. That's all told with with that reduction in price and then the closing costs, I think we ended up at twenty two five in, in seller concessions. In seller concessions after all was said and done. And then also for us just going into the deal to go through that inspection process. We were there the day that he did it. Yeah. And he was in and out of the attic and in and out of the crawl space, tested all the outlets. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was incredibly thorough. And for us to have that sense of security and knowledge going in, I mean, that's really that inspection reports essentially my to-do list at this point in renovating the well, property yeah. too yeah. is, is it, it just told us so much about the purchase we were about to make. It was yeah. incredibly valuable. One thing I will say too, is that we just, we weren't emotionally attached to this property. So we were like, you know, let's try for 15. If they accept, that's awesome. If not, then, you know, we're on to the right. next one. It doesn't hurt to ask. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, you made and I, 15 I grand. That- <laughs> that's the best $500 you could have invested. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that patience too was really helpful for us is not getting overcommitted with anything, even when we got pretty well underway, being willing to kind of walk away if things weren't going the way that we wanted them to. We did you know we were cautious about getting sucked into something that was not going to treat us in the long run. Mm -hmm. So now that the price has decreased, your mortgage payment has obviously gone down to how did you find what comparable rents were? How did you do your research? for that as to, you know, how other apartments in the area are renting. We just looked on, gosh, so many websites, Mm -hmm. just looked what was available out there for a similar two bed, one bath unit. And, you know, I used Zillow, hot pads, Mm -hmm. pad mapper, Craigslist. We, and I still now while we're renovating, I look at it at least twice a week just to see what things are going for. So that I know when we list ours, what I can expect. Or what we can expect. We're still, yeah, pretty religiously looking here and there at Zillow and Redfin in particular in our market are popular yeah. ones to be used. And and we're always adding stuff to kind of like our wish list, save properties thing and just tracking what's happening in the local market, what things are selling for, what things are going on and off the market, might go pending and then not close. Oh, yeah. uh, we've got a wide variety of different properties we're kind of tracking just to kind of keep a finger on the pulse of what's happening locally, both on the rental side and purchasing for you know, future deal. deals down the road mm-hmm. too. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of just a hobby for us as much as anything at this point. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, we've, we've made a game out of it and it's, and we have a lot of fun kind of looking at what's going on. And so then it's, it doesn't feel like work. It's like pop open your phone in the morning, flick through Redfin, see what's going on in the local area and, and keep tracking those things as they develop kind of thing. 
the reason I like what you're saying about the red fin and kind of looking at that, I do the same thing. And the reason I'm able to do that, or the reason I guess I should say the reason I do do that also is because when my realtor sends me a property that he knows that I might, might want to buy, you know, I've already been looking at that street or that totally. city over and over and over again. Totally. And I can tell you, you know, if it's hundred thousand more than I usually pay, I don't even look at it anymore. I don't waste my time. But if it's accurately priced, it's in the right street that I know, I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is something that I can look at. And since I've already been doing the research, you know, there's tons of backend stuff there. So I, I agree, I do the same thing. So this show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Earlier, you had hinted at the appraisal and having to do some work on the property. Walk us through that and then, you know, definitely explain to us the ARV and kind of after everything went through where it's going on there and then rents and all that fun stuff. So let's get to that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So post inspection, like we said, they dropped the price 15,000. 
then we had the appraisal and it was, it took longer than we wanted. It took a couple of weeks or something for the appraiser to get out there, which was a bummer because we were really wanting to get to closing. But um, the appraiser came out and he called out that there was no flooring that uh, in one unit, there was I needed a new water heater I needed new siding on the south side. Had some subfloor that needed to be replaced. It they had wanted flooring throughout the gutted unit. Yeah. Leaky faucet, a fireplace that didn't properly like exhaust or whatever. So it was, it was an interesting list too, because part of part of what happened specifically with that situation was that when the appraiser came to the property to check it out, one of the tenants who was supposed to have been out of the property like a roughly month a month before, before was <laughs> still there still living in the one unit and kind of got into his ear about a lot of the things that was going on with the, with the property, some leaks that didn't actually exist and yeah. things like that. I Our theory is maybe that yeah. she, she liked the very affordable rent she was getting and didn't yeah. want to move out. So she's yeah. kind of trying to sabotage the deal maybe. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so it was, we ended up basically just with a list of things that, yeah. that they were contingent for conventional financing. And the uh, seller said, yeah. we're not, we're over it. We're not going to do, we already conceded 22,000. We aren't, we don't have the time to do this. So, you know, mm-hmm. if that was their answer. So then we said, Hmm, <laughs> we have time. Yeah. what if, <laughs> what? And we were like, is this crazy? You know, and, but our real estate agent is excellent at what she does. And so she wrote, you know, contingent response and said that, the buyers will do the work to get it through appraisal if, but if you back out, you have to pay for the materials. And like Lucas said, you know, we were risking our time, but for us, it was a learning process anyways, because mm-hmm. we had never done home renovations before this. So we were like, well, we'll learn how to replace a water heater or, you know. I'm sure it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we uh, sent that offer back and they said, okay, that they would let us do work. So they gave us the keys which I thought was just kind of insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is not typical for our listeners that are out there saying what? Oh, yeah. That is not the norm. But that is a way that you guys made it work, right? Yeah, You totally. did whatever you had to do to make this deal work. Sorry totally. to keep going, but I love that. Yeah, no, that's okay. And that's what like was important to us or that we wanted to share is that we did what it took to get it through. But um, yeah, the sellers like, they were ju- just over it. This was a property that they had thought that they were going to renovate and found that they didn't have time. So, you know, they gave us the keys. The renter was out, thank goodness, but all of her garbage was still there. Mm-hmm. So we cleaned up the property. And then uh, as Lucas hinted at, we, um, we know, I know someone who works here at a local flooring store. We hit her up. We're like, Hey, what's the cheapest carpet you can get us? <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. And she, Cause we're, we said, we're going to get it through. We're going to get through appraisal and tear it out. And she was like, well, how does free sound? We're like, okay. And <laughs> yeah. she's like, there's a dumpster out back with people's carpet that we have taken out. Cause it was a carpet store. So it was carpet that they yeah. had taken out of homes. It hasn't well, rained in a couple of days, so it should be okay. Yeah, we're oh like, okay. Okay. But, hold you know, on. We, okay. So yeah, I know. this is funny. <laughs> no, wait, stop. Okay. This is funny because people probably don't know this, but I used to install carpet. Oh, okay. oh boy. So the carpet that we throw in the dumpster, <laughs> that yeah. is hilarious. Kind of I really like hope that you pick through and- it. <laughs> Oh, we did. Yeah. Yeah, we tried. And, but like Lucas said, it's cut in three foot strips. So it's like, 
God, they, we should send you guys pictures of what it looked like when it got through appraisal because it was just strips of carpet that were like not put down. We like used double-sided tape or something. Or did, they did they even match? Did they even match? It, it did match. Yeah. It, it was yeah. matching. Yeah. It did, yeah. And then yeah. some stains here and there. Yeah. Oh but, God. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't want to pay to put carpet in it that we knew we were going to rip, rip out. out. Yeah. Because it, right. Yeah. It had other work that needed to be done before flooring was put in. So we did end up having to buy like a little bit of carpet. We went to Home Depot and asked them for their cheapest carpet. I think it was like 50 cents a foot or something. Yeah. And we put that in. Lucas learned how to replace a water heater. We, my, Him and my dad replaced some siding on one of the sides. Yeah. So all told, what did we say and end up spending before? Maybe a couple thousand dollars. I think it was 1200 1200 something like that. $1, I mean, it was it was... A bit of money, but it wasn't a huge amount. The 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 bigger investment was definitely the time. Right. But but some and of them the, were, were tough things and some of them were quick fixes. I mean, one of them was he'd written down that one of the toilets didn't work. Well, the water was just turned off. So you turn the valve on and then it flushes just fine. You know, I mean, it was, it was a matter of figuring out what we were dealing with individually. Yeah. And Man, that's some a great of story things. of grit. <laughs> yeah, grit. Yeah, so, grit, grit, and also, I mean, I think that the time and effort that we put in initially to uh, to research a lot of the options. I mean, I remember running across something in a podcast at one point about getting early access to a property for certain things along those lines. You know, it was, it was just really we had done so much research. I think at that point, in a very short period of time, that it really kind of added to our tool set as far as right. what kind of ideas <laughs> we could come up with to solve different problems. This being a great example, it was like we were willing to be flexible and creative and, and find a way through it. And when it came down to negotiating with the sellers, a lot of it just came down to, well, sounds like the deal might fall through anyway. So it doesn't hurt to ask one more, one thing. more thought mm-hmm. kind of yeah. thing, you know, just yeah. throw an idea out there and worst case scenario, it falls through like it was going to best case scenario. We find a way to make it happen. Totally. And that's really what it boiled down to in a lot of cases. It seems yeah. like a lot of the repairs you made, though, were going to be permanent, like the hot water oh, yeah, tank, totally. too. So to put that yeah. money in, it's not like you had to rip that $1,200 exactly. out. Yeah. Yes, totally. Oh, yeah. And that's that. the flooring was the one thing that would have like been a waste of money. Right. So that's why we really wanted to go super cheap on it. But everything else, we were like, we were going to do this to this property anyways. Yeah. So, you know. I yeah, guess most of the work that we did were things we were we wanted to do ultimately anyway. It was right. maybe a little out of ordinary out of order with how we would have done things initially if it was it was a normal renovation situation. Yeah. On the first duplex that I ever bought, I bought it with a partner and we actually did the same thing, did the early access. And we were doing a, a cash offer though, so it wasn't mandatory. We just had heard that that was something you can do and we're like, great, let's get started and we can get tenants in here on the day of closing. Well, by the time we've got the sellers to agree to do that, it was only 10 days from closing and we got a little bit of a head start, but a factor for us was these were out of state sellers. They wanted to get rid of the property. We're, you know, already so close to closing that the chance of them backing out was very slim. So we started putting a new kitchen in, new flooring in, and we were we were doing a cash offer. We already had our funds, so there was no bank financing that could fall through. So for me, that felt safer going in and, you know, putting money in. But I, I find it so daring how you guys did that. It, it, it's really yeah. awesome. Daring or foolhardy. That'll throw <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So Mallory, Lucas, what was the outcome of that story? What is the final, what, what, what did it come down to? Well, the appraiser came out and, and reappraised and Lucas was like, I want to be there when he's there. <laughs> Were you strong on <laughs> him, Lucas? Were you like, hey, no. boy, you better pass this. <laughs> Lucas is I, from I, Minnesota. He doesn't, he, all he does is nice. <laughs> well, I will admit too, as I was working on the property before we closed, we I, you know, some of what needed to be done was seemed silly to me at the time. Um, so I, I, I harbored a little bit of ill will towards him. Uh, but when I met him in the end, he was a super nice guy. And you know, what he ultimately told me was, you know, he, he apologized. He's like, I know some of this seemed ridiculous probably, but we just don't see properties like this anymore. What's happening more often than not is that properties that need this much work are being purchased, you know, cash purchases by flippers. And, and we don't end up seeing these with conventional buyers because most conventional buyers are looking for something that's, that's move-in ready. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a very unorthodox situation. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, he went through, uh, it was the whole process on the follow-up appraisal was almost kind of laughable. He didn't care one bit about yeah. the state of the carpets. Yeah. In hindsight, <laughs> I would not have used double stick tape yeah, we to even lay them on the floor. Yeah. Um, yeah, we tried a little harder in some areas than we even needed to. And I think yeah. really it was it was about him being able to just be thorough and make sure he'd done his job and, and protect the lender the way that he's expected to protect the lender. And so, yeah, yeah, we were able to close on the house and it's been go time on renovations ever since. Our priority now is basically to get the first unit that we don't intend to live in rental ready. Uh, we want that to be, you get a tenant in is make, make as few full, full price mortgage payments as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it'll be a focus on getting ourselves a spot to live. Uh, we are, as part of the financing, required to live in the property for one year. It was a 5% down conventional financing, uh, first-time homebuyer type loan. So we'll put at least a year into that. And then kind of based on what we can find for deals and how it times out with my work schedule and things like that, we'll start shopping for the next deal probably next, next summer, I think, is the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think that's that an awesome way to get started is house hacking. So mm-hmm. where your do you guys want to share kind of what house hacking is and how your numbers are going to be? I mean, do you have an estimate of what the rent will be and what your mortgage payment is? Yeah. Yeah, we're still we're still figuring that out somewhat initially here because the the property's still under renovation and we want to get somebody in as soon as we can. Uh, in our local market, so our monthly payments about $1700. And where we're at to be able to get right around thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars per unit mm-hmm. in rent is pretty spot on. You can see a lot of stuff in the local area that's right around that or maybe a little bit lower, but won't be as up to date yeah. as what we're seeking to achieve with our renovations. Um, that's kind of a nice thing about having something that's a fixer upper like it is, is we have the opportunity to kind of tear out a little bit more and and bring things up to kind of a more contemporary current style inside. So that's the priority. So right now, once we get a tenant in, we might try to seek maybe a little bit of a shorter term lease at a a below market rate, kind of factoring in the consideration that we still have work to do on the property. Yeah, we'll be next door running saws and and, renovating ours. (laughs) And we got a fixed fence and, you know, put some pavers in on the patio. So factoring that in, we'll probably try to get somebody in... Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, somewhere around the thousand to twelve hundred, maybe for for that first tenant. We'll see what we can find. Something, somebody that's willing to work with us on that. We might even kind of 
Target shop a little bit. There's a local hospital nearby. So if we can find some travel nurses, nurses or something that are looking yeah. for something shorter term. And then as soon as that's over, we'll be looking for something around that $1,300, $1,400. So living on our side, we're paying less than $500 out of pocket for uh, mortgage. You know, before well, utilities for our mortgage. Yeah. For what then, what will it price for you think like what would the value be after you're done re- renovating 250 300 you know so, to- yeah yeah so we um we ended up financing 258 and yep. we're thinking that after the ARB is going to be at least 350 wow that's yeah. awesome and to only insane. spend 500 bucks you know to live yeah, there to live there yeah yeah, right. yeah. that's yeah. great you know we're putting our own cash into the renovation process right. i've kind of run some budget estimates and and looked at what we need to do that's still to be done at a place. And ultimately, I think we'll be putting in somewhere in the thirty-five dollars to $40,000 range into the property. Including closing costs. Uh, yeah, including closing mm-hmm. costs in everything. You know, every trip to Home Depot, I, I put that receipt into a, a spreadsheet. But in the end, I mean, we're looking at putting sub 50000 in and we should see at least 100, roughly 100000 in forced appreciation wow, in the first year. Great. Uh, so we're basically just translating that into wealth, uh, cash into wealth uh, at a very good return. And yeah. then from there, we've got a, you know, a functioning rental property that we yeah. can continue to maintain for the years to come. So right. yeah, it's, it's really exciting. exciting. And it, looking back at where we were a year and a half, two years ago, we, you know, we were still working on credit card bills and, and student yeah. loans and setting a budget and getting serious about following it has been an incredible turnaround for both of us to just see what we can achieve in a very short period of time has been absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you you guys, I mean, congratulations on what Thank you've you. accomplished in a year. Thank I mean, you. it really is great. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to find it motivating and inspiring throughout this whole journey for this past year. I want to find out who was a key player for you guys, who was, you know, that accountant, that lawyer, that realtor, who was it that really was the MVP for you? So, Felipe, you want to do your little chant for the, us first? <laughs> so, we call this yeah, segment the MVP, MVP, <laughs> MVP. <laughs> this is really important to us because we really want to know who has been that key player for you guys, right? So yeah. a lot of times our listeners will will say, oh, well, you know, I need a good lender. I need a good realtor. I need a good, you know, all these different concepts. And they get caught up in getting the best of the best of everything. So for you guys, what would you say was your MVP for this deal? Susie Williams, Williams. yeah, yeah. <laughs> John L. Scott, she's our real estate agent. Yeah, she's been huge. She she was has been super patient with us as we learn what we need to learn. She's had great tips, but she's let us kind of keep hold of the Take wheel the and yeah. make the the final decisions on mm-hmm. everything. Uh, she's been a huge resource for us. She's she got a couple, a yeah, a huge mentor. Heck, I think we still have a couple of her brooms and a stretch yeah, garden we do. at the house that she loaned <laughs> that us she loaned the yeah. process. Yeah. So, yeah, she's just, she's shown up whenever we needed. And also she brought a really good team of people around her. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got access to the inspector that we right. use. She's got some references we've used for potential electricians and things like that. So finding somebody that understood what we were looking for in a rental yeah. um, and, and, and to be able to use some references she owns rental properties as well. So she, she understood mm-hmm. that we needed it to cash flow, that it wasn't, you know, our dream home that we were buying. We were buying an investment property. So she understood that. And she was fierce in the negotiating. Mm-hmm. So you found her yeah. because of the classes you were going to. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then 
you you're going to tell us a minute uh, you know you said you learned some great lessons from her she is an investor friendly realtor because she and also mm-hmm. invests in rental property yeah. so she mm-hmm. understands the cash flow game but yeah. some of our listeners are probably thinking does realtors cost money right and i know that's sometimes simple for us to think maybe well no you know the realtors you know work for you and they help you so people are saying right. can i afford a realtor and it's like no right. so explain explain that part to our listeners the cost of a realtor if any well i think it varies state to state so um we actually i think it was last year that washington state actually changed it it used to be that the seller paid for the realtor both realtors selling and buying realtors they yeah they paid all the commission last year i'm pretty sure washington state changed it to the seller and the buyer have to pay uh i think a percentage of the commission yeah so each I don't know how it's decided, but each deal, each house is different. So on ours, I think we had to pay 3.5% of the commission or something to Susie. I believe it was only one and a half. Oh, you're right. It It, was one and a half. It used to be that the seller of the property was responsible for commission for both realtors. Now, according to the state law here, that's no longer a requirement. So it's kind of in a gray area where a lot of of realtors are kind of going the conventional route still and sticking to the way that it was, but it ultimately boils down to what the seller wants to do and yeah. how much they're willing to take responsibility for. But so one we thing paid I, for a percentage, right. but but um, we, you know, Susie, our realtor, she talked down the price essentially twenty two thousand dollars. So you know that paid for Susie, you know, completely right, yeah. and more. <laughs> so she was a huge asset to us, and especially as first time home buyers. We didn't really know what to expect from the process. We'd done so much research, but you just don't know until you get into it yourself. So having someone that can, you know, lead us through. We- I mean, ultimately, it's it's just an investment. That's totally. the whole thing is you, mm-hmm. you got to put some skin in the game. And, and the money that we spent on our inspection and on our realtor, it, we're, we're seeing it in immediate returns already. And it's already paid for. Um, it was but- just a part of what we had to put into the process in order to to get what we wanted out of the deal. And and that's this it's like paying for the right tools before yeah. you start working on something is really what it what it boiled down to was we had to invest what we needed to invest to to get what we wanted out of it. Yeah. And I that's, had heard horror stories, you know, from people with real estate agents. So I feel like you have to find someone that either through recommendations or someone that you meet in person mm-hmm. that you can trust because yeah, I've heard yep. horror stories. Yeah, I agree with that. I was just talking to someone the other day who was saying, oh, be weary of realtor recommendations for contractors because you never know, they might be getting a percentage of that. And, Mm. you know, there are those horror stories out there. So what would be your recommendations for someone to find a good realtor? You know, say they don't have the classes um, like you went to, where where would be another good place you would recommend someone find a realtor? Bigger pockets. I, I would say bigger pockets, yeah, or just yeah. you know whether it's Angie's list or you know look look locally because from, mm-hmm. from our experience, you know we got some references from people that we knew, but a lot of the people that we talked to it was you know somebody's cousin or right. a friend of a friend, yeah. and, and yeah. in a lot of cases it was somebody that they 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 just took a reference from someone, but they weren't necessarily super comp comfortable with that person. Right. And for mm-hmm. us, just taking the time to get to know Susie first and develop some comfortability there 
yeah, look, look for people. And, and, and if they're doing their job, they'll be willing to show up and have a cup of coffee and with it, you and get to know you yeah. before. Well, yeah. And if you far. aren't satisfied with how it's happening, unless you've signed a contract, I don't feel bad about not giving them your business. Yeah. But yeah, if you're in Washington state though, Susie Williams. <laughs> yeah. And we will um, link her information okay, cool. for anyone who is in the show notes. So you can find that at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie eight. So let's move in now that we found out how great your MVP is and hopefully people will be able to check her out. I want to go to the rookie request line where we have a, a rookie call in and ask their question. So we're going to play the voicemail for you. And if, if anyone else wants to call in, you can leave a voicemail at one 888 five rookie and we will play it on one of our podcast episodes so make sure you pay attention to the directions and leave us a voicemail but today's question is from annie johnson in seattle washington we have a cash offer accepted on a duplex in new york state the lady selling it to us wants to stay and live there a few weeks longer while looking for a new housing we haven't closed on the house yet and we're wondering if we should close and rent to her or wait until she vacates? Oh, man. That's an interesting question. I mean, it definitely isn't in the wheelhouse of what we've dealt with. But uh, so our answer at best is probably going to be based on a lot of the research that we've done. I would say that that kind of depends really on your own comfortability. If you have the opportunity to meet with the person and, of course, looking at what's there contractually to hold that person accountable for taking care of your property um, after you close on it. Worst case scenario, this is something that ultimately uh, is up to the seller. It's kind of their responsibility if they're the one that put this person in place and it's currently their property. It's a matter of working with them. I know from my research, uh, like a cash for keys type model is something that people have achieved a lot of success with. And the whole market seems to kind of, from what I'm hearing, be shifting to that. Uh, that would be a scenario where Maybe if you've got a tenant that you'd like to get out of the property sooner rather than later, and you want to make sure that they go peacefully and take good care of it, it might be worth investing a little bit of money to help them transition into their next property. Yeah. Uh, I would say personally from our experience, because there was a tenant in the property when we were buying, I we said we will not go to closing if there's a tenant in the property. So I don't know if this is the right answer, <laughs> but I would say probably wait to close until she vacates because I've just heard lots of terrible stories about um, inherited tenants. Yeah. Valerie, <laughs> so, Lucas, I could not agree with you more. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't take inherited tenants period. I think that's a rookie mistake sometimes where, and this is just personal advice. I mean, this is just me. I feel like rookies sometimes take on inherited tenants because they see, Oh, that's immediate cash flow money. It's going to immediately pay the rent. But that can be so expensive when having to evict, when having to ask them to leave and they destroy the place, right? I recently bought a property where I didn't inherit the tenants, but I said, hey, you guys, I, I need it vacant before they leave. And if you go back and check my Instagram stories, or I think I even posted it, somebody had actually poured concrete down the toilet. So we had to install a brand new sewer line, 10 grand oh right off the muscle. <gasps> because they poured uh, concrete down the sewer line. So all that to say, I do not inherit tenants and I need the place vacant and your final walkthrough is very important. <laughs> but I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's what I would say. I mean, no, I don't, I don't inherit tenants. I feel like a lot of times you're just inheriting someone else's problem. And if someone's selling a property with tenants, 
then you know you have to ask yourself, well, why are they selling the property if there's still tenants there? If everybody's paying rent, you know, what's really going on? Right. So that's, that's that's what I would point. say. I mean, Ashley, what do you think? Well, I've inherited a lot of tenants, some great, some bad, but I'm also wondering if I the question again, I if maybe it's the seller that's still living there too, oh. um, because that would change things if totally. if it's the, actually the seller that's living there and she's waiting to find her um, new housing. Because then I would definitely do it because if the seller if the seller's already cared for the property, then I would continue to rent from them because my goal would be to get a new renter right away. But if I'm going to rent to her for a little bit, you could also do something where you hold some money in escrow, which if this was a tenant, I doubt any seller is going to say, oh yeah, I vouch for them. They'll for sure be gone in a month. Mm -hmm. But maybe if it's the person who is selling it, they would they would do something like that. But the eviction process has changed in New York state last June and it can, it takes over 30 days to evict someone, if not two months. So I would be even more cautious um, about keeping someone in there for that reason. Eviction laws are, might be changing in Washington too. So we would be very wary about inheriting tenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, good, good answer guys. That's, that's fantastic. I love that. So Let's wrap this up. But before we do that, we have a few semi-random questions for you guys that we're going to give you a chance to tell <laughs> everybody. And then also we're going to get to a part where you guys can tell us where people can connect with you, right? So we're going to ask you a couple questions that are just, just, just fun questions and just off the top of your head. So here's one of mine. What's a quote that sums up your approach to real estate? Nike, just do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a yeah. good answer. That's a great one. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think ultimately for us, that's kind of what it's been about is just just, uh, just do it. go yeah. for it. You know, and we, we knew from the start, no matter how much research we did, we were going to make mistakes along the way. So at some point, you just got to go for it and work your way through those as they happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Did, now... What my question is going to be, what did your family think about this? Because it did seem to happen really fast. What did they think about you buying this fixer upper and becoming landlords? Yeah. Well, my dad was like gung ho from the start. He's like, that yeah. is so brilliant. That is <laughs> so awesome. He's like renovations. We, I can help you with it. No problem. Super yeah. stoked from the start. Yeah, we've been we've been really fortunate on on both accounts with our families who've been super supportive, um, and and I think part of that even just came to, you know, they know us and they know we do our homework and they were already seeing that coming into play right from the start. I mean, we we'd already mm-hmm. done a bunch of research before we really even told them too much about yeah. it. And by the time yeah. you know we were telling them, and and in my family, I've got a couple aunts and uncles that have owned ro- rental properties over the years and things like that too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something that they were totally unfamiliar with. To, to, to see us building it together, they were just really excited for mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Yeah. We're grateful for that. I mean, when we, that was a, a tough thing for us, really, I think, too, when we think about who our MVPs were. I mean, we've got, we've got a, a we've got couple friends, friends who are, are building their own house. Yeah. We have friends who built a tiny house. We, my, my dad's always done the, his own renovations on his house. Same with his dad. We have to, so many people that, yeah. you know, influence us and support us mm-hmm. and inspire us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was what was your biggest fear going into this, and what was the biggest what was the overcoming part of that? Biggest fear. I mean, I think getting in over our heads was definitely a big concern for us. Ultimately, you know, if 
we were worried we'd maybe lose money or something like that, but we, we did our homework to cover ourselves there. I think maybe with the renovation side of things and things like that, for me, that was a big part of it. You know, I've done projects with, with my dad over the years and stuff like that, but I was, I was going into something that I was going to have to do a lot of things that I didn't know how to do yet. And ultimately, it was just a matter of continuing to do the homework and watch the YouTube videos and, and study what we could to learn, learn what we needed to, to have at least an idea of what was going to be needed. And then having faith in ourselves to just go for it and realize that there's nothing we've done in our lives that we'd you know, already done the first time we did it. Yeah. I guess if that makes sense. It was like a lot of it was going to be new, but we could trust ourselves to find our way through it in the end. And that was ultimately for, for me personally, I, even though when we found that house, I was like, we're buying this every step of the way I had to face fear because I had been so against owning or having a mortgage <laughs> for so long that I, I constantly was a little bit scared about something, but what yeah. always got me over that fear is running the numbers. Look, we could live in this duplex and be paying $400 a month for our mortgage. That's insane. So let's do this. Yeah. And ultimately we were going to be paying a mortgage one way or another. It was just a question of whether it was ours or someone else's. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of what a lot of it was, was anchored on. I'm going to put that on an Instagram quote. You can either pay my rent or someone else's. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. True though. It's true. Yeah. But running, running your numbers, a lot of times people say, what should I do? Should I go with this loan? Should I go with this loan? Should I put this much down that much down? And you're so right. It's run your numbers and see how it comes out, you know, run it for today, what will happen today, and then run it for 10 years from now where we your numbers end up. Totally. Yep. Yeah, I really like that advice. So let's go to our last question. And it's a little bit of rookie hazing. Oh, boy. What song is your guilty pleasure? And can you sing a little bit of it for oh, us? Oh, no. You have to <laughs> sing. You were doing it today. Oh, yeah. All the small things, things. true care, truth, truth brings. Oh, fortunately, my sample is one where the story wasn't all that great to begin with, so I don't have a high bar to reach. Oh, man. I'm really proud of you for that. That's really good. That you was. sing that during the renovations, don't you? He was, he was singing that in the shower today, and I was like, wow, this is actually spot on. Yeah. He sounded just like, which, like you said, he's not a very good singer. Yeah, so. I did, uh, yeah. Mallory, did you want to do one too? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh my god. No, no, no that's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's hilarious. Mallory Lucas, where can people find out more about you guys? We're pretty active, pretty much exclusively on Instagram. Yep. Um, my handle is I am Mallory, which is M-A-L-L-O-R-I. I am Mallory. And I'm Minnesota L A. Uh, Minnesota, but with snow in it instead. Uh, but I think if you if you search <laughs> Lucas Anderson L U K A S, you'll find me. Yeah, we post Very a lot cool. on our story, like what Pretty we're doing the for the day, the renovations and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and we'll link uh, your guys's Instagrams to our show notes. You can find all the show notes. You know, things we talked about, highlighted. We'll post them on there, and maybe we can even get some pictures of your guys's current renovation. Oh yeah, we should put some appraisal pictures in there yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so thank much for chatting so much. with us today. Yeah. Thanks for doing this podcast. Yeah. yeah. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals. 
He's Felipe at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. Search Real Estate Rookie to join our community and keep each other accountable to starting in real estate. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.